Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12, and you can follow along in the insert in your bulletin. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger. By your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in, the count- in light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So, teach us to count our days so that we may gain a wise heart. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, You have said that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you are there also. So we invite you into this place to be present with us. Take my words and speak through them. Take our ears and listen through them. And take our hearts, O God, and set them on fire with love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. One of my all-time favorite movies is Dumb and Dumber. I know you're shocked. It's just so quotable. I love finding everyday situations to slip in a line. Like if I borrowed a dollar from a coworker for a Diet Pepsi at work, I might hand them a note that says, that's an IOU. That's as good as mine. Or when one of my buddies makes a boneheaded decision on the golf course that ends up working out okay, I might say, just when I thought you couldn't go and do anything dumber. You go and do something like this, and totally redeem yourself. (laughs) Or when I'm paying bills and balancing the checkbook, I might say, we got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off. (laughs) But my favorite use is when I'm at a restaurant. I would flag down a waitress and say, excuse me, Flo, (laughs) what's the soup du jour? That's the soup of the day. Mmm, that sounds good. I'll have that. I could go on and on, but I won't. Although that would probably make a much better sermon. But my point is that this is the first time that a Dumb and Dumber quote has ever popped into my head while reading scripture. I found myself reenacting the scene when Lloyd Christmas finally gets up the nerve to talk to Mary Swanson about how he really feels about her, only changing it to fit my situation. It went a little something like this. Bible, I want to ask you a question, straight out, flat out, and I want, to, I want you to give me an honest answer. What are the chances that a scripture in you could make sense to a guy like me? Well, Andy, that's difficult to say. <laughs> Just hit me with it. Give it to me straight. I've been a Christian a long time. The least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. <laughs> You mean like one out of a hundred? 
I'd say more like one out of a million. <laughs> so, you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yes! It seems lately that the more scripture I read, there are fewer and fewer of them that make any sense to me. And this is no exception. Although the first time I read it, or rather skimmed it, I thought I got the gist of it pretty well. And that's why I picked it for my sermon today. But then the more I read it and the more I studied it, the more conflicted I became. It talks a couple of times about the wrath of God and how we should fear it and God's anger. That's not the way I think about God at all. Maybe it's just a defense mechanism of mine. But I prefer to focus on God's unconditional love, grace, and mercy. It's just so much more comforting. I can go about my day knowing that I have the love and grace of God on my side no matter what I encounter, rather than live in fear of a God that could return my mortal self to dust. But if we want to continue to grow in our faith, we have to take on and embrace these difficult passages just as we do the comforting ones that preach forgiveness and love. Because there is no growth in the comfort zone, and there is no comfort in the growth zone. So, to loosely quote our very own Pastor Marty, let's all sit up straight, put our feet firmly on the ground, take a deep breath, and prepare to get uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, let's take on the wrath of God. This is something that I've wrestled with my entire adolescence. I grew up with first-hand knowledge that God has the ability to strike us down at any time. On April 22, 1986, my father died of a heart attack at age 39. In the days that followed, many people, <clears throat> many people, no doubt very good friends, that wanted to help and comfort in any way that they could, would come and tell me, he's in a better place now, or this is all part of God's plan. Or my personal favorite was, God must have needed another angel in heaven for a special project. I mean, I get it. It's hard. What do you say to uh, a child who's lost their father? But to my 11-year-old brain, this meant that God took my dad. I never got vengeful against God and turned away from him. I never stopped believing in him. But what it did was lead me down a path to search for the answer to my biggest question. Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did God take my dad? And everyone's favorite question, why does God make bad things happen to good people? I needed someone or something to blame for this. I needed resolution. It took over 10 years to find it, but at a weekend retreat called Young Adult Beginning Experience, which is a retreat for young adults who've lost a parent through death or divorce, I had an epiphany. God created us with the ability to make our own decisions, and sometimes those decisions can affect the course of our lives. Certainly, God does not cause a person to drink and drive and get in an accident. Certainly, God does not cause a person to smoke cigarettes and have lung cancer. And certainly, God would never cause someone to take their own life. So, what if there is no one to blame? What if no one caused these things to happen? What if no one took my dad. What if he just died? Embracing the likelihood that this is true was the most freeing feeling that I have ever felt. The weight of searching for an answer had been lifted, and I had finally reached the final stage of grief, acceptance. And what about the wrath of God? Well, 
That is something that I still believe is very real. However, it is no longer something that I fear or worry about trying to justify. Enough about me, though. Let's get back to our scripture. Let's take a look at the very first verse. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The psalmist here is talking about a God that we can reside within, a God that can be all around us like a house. But at the very same time, he also has the power to dwell within us. When I read this passage to my wife, she said it reminded her of a quote that she had recently read from C.S. Lewis that she shared with me. It says, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making a courtyard. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. What a powerful image that is. This image of God living inside us and knocking things around may sound painful, but to me it's, it's actually very comforting. It reminds me that when things are not going the way you want them to, maybe you're suffering through grief or fighting an addiction or battling a life-threatening disease, that God is at work inside of you, protecting you from being hurt worse, repairing your wounds, rebuilding you, making you better. The scripture text goes on to say in verse 4 that a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. It is true, our time on this earth goes by very fast. Earth standard time is no match for eternity daylight savings time. The Bible talks a lot about being good stewards, and most of the time we attribute stewardship with our money, our offerings, our tithes. But we are also called to be good stewards of our time. One of my favorite comic strip cartoons that I've seen recently is just a single frame that shows a stick figure standing at the precipice of a huge cavern. On the other side of the cavern is a cloud and a rainbow that have the words on it, life's goals. In the cavern are the words, the internet. How true is that? Just think if we had all the time back that we've mindlessly wasted searching random things on the internet that have no bearing on our lives. I know that I'm guilty of it. I get sucked into the latest viral video or celebrity arrest story. And the internet is just one of the things that is vying for our time. We have constant attacks on our time and attention. Granted, a little less now that election day has passed. <laughs> but how we choose to spend that time says a lot about our priorities in life. Yes, our days on this earth are most certainly numbered. But this psalm is trying to tell us that that's a good thing. Once the psalmist realizes that God knows everything that we've done, knows all of our sins and inequities, knows our, all of our fears, and has the omnipotent power of knowing when all of us will end walking on this earth, the passage ends with a plea for God to teach us to number our days because time is precious. Time is precious for many reasons. Time is precious because your high school glory days only last four short years. Time is precious because your partying hard college days, uh, I 
I mean, you're uh, <laughs> nose in the book studying hard college days. Only last five and a half years. <laughs> For an undergrad. <laughs> Time is precious because the number of days you have with your spouse before having kids can never be lived again. Time is precious because your kids grow up and fly the nest in the blink of an eye. Time is precious because overcoming addiction or escaping violence may mean that you've earned more of that precious time on this earth. And time is precious because fighting cancer takes every ounce of energy you've got. And time is precious because you never know how long you'll have to be with your daddy. Yes, time is indeed precious, which is exactly the reason why we need to live each day in a godly way. Live as God wants us to. And how do we do that? Well, in Micah 6.8, it says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? My favorite translation of that verse comes from the message. It's quite simple. Do what is fair to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. When we take God seriously, we take time to listen. To listen to that still, small voice calling to us while knocking down the walls inside our decent little cottage of a being. And we hear him say, it's going to be okay. I will always be with you. You are my creation, my precious child. And it's in that moment when we realize that we have to take advantage of every single second we get on this earth and live for him. Praise be to God. Amen.